0: so much, oh.
1: Hey everybody, Bill Schaefer here with Mark Middleton. Really glad to have you with us here for another edition of Growing Bolder, a program that'll show you that it's never too late to live life to the fullest, that changes are within reach of all of us, that no matter who you are or what your situation, you can make a difference. Over the next hour, you'll hear how others found the inspiration and courage to do exactly
2: that in their lives. And here's kind of the rundown. On today's program, we've got a fascinating lineup That includes from Happy Days, Marion Ross, who has just written her memoir. And at the age of 89, she has some thoughts on life that she'd like to pass along to you. We'll also meet a charming woman by the name of Suzanne Poole, who at 77 is one of the oldest ballerinas in the world. And we'll also get some insight into what the next generation of assisted living facilities is all about from industry expert Larry Pino. But first, we start things off with a conversation with one of the original Ghostbusters. Amazing people, amazing stories. It's time for Growing Bolder.
3: You
1: know, there are a lot of great things that go along with being an actor, and a lot of people have found incredible success. But the one thing that you don't find very often is... Longevity. Showbiz tends to chew you up and spit you out, especially as we age. Well, we're about to talk with a guy who somehow has managed to be the exception, an actor who came to fame in the movie Ghostbusters, and all these years later is busier and in greater demand than ever.
2: We're talking about Ernie Hudson, who played Winston Zedmore in Ghostbusters. He's now 72 years old, and whether it's guest starring on shows like Blue Bloods or the Netflix series Grace and Frankie, this is a guy who seems to have very little trouble finding new roles and accepting new challenges but you know what makes him so interesting to us is his outlook on life how he maintains such a positive attitude and how he's dealt not only with his successes but also his personal setbacks let's say hello and learn more from the great Ernie Hudson hey Ernie how are you
3: yeah, I'm fine, guys. Good morning.
2: Hey, uh, we know uh, you're busy, so let's get right with it. Uh, you are incredibly busy these days. Did you ever expect uh, that you would be uh, having such a great career in your 70s as you have now?
3: Well, you know, when I um, decided, uh, made up my mind that this is what I wanted to do uh, about 50 years ago, I just, I've always thought of it as being something that you commit to for life. Um, and so I never imagined not working Um, As an actor, Uh, I have retired from all the um, effort to get work. I don't do the auditions and and all that hustle that I was trying to build some great career. I let all that go. But the work itself, I've always loved and uh, and I hope to do it for many years to come.
1: Ernie, Mark talked about some of the obstacles you've overcome in your life. And one of the things we greatly admire about you has been your ability to persevere. Challenges that began for you so early. I mean, you never knew either of your parents. Your mom died when you were just two months old. What was your childhood like? What impact did it have on you? And how did that prepare you for for your life?
3: Well, I think one of the things that uh, kids run into is, Uh, Life can be very difficult uh, if people continually tell them that and explain. Kids don't know the difference. So as far as I'm concerned, I had a great childhood. Uh, I look back on it um, because there was nobody around telling me how disadvantaged I was or how unfortunate I was or um, we didn't have very much, but I assume most people didn't have very much. One of the things I've learned as an adult is um, there are people who have a lot more money than I do. I assume we're all struggling. So, so I think it. Uh, I think we do a disservice when we keep reminding people of how uh, unfortunate they are. Um, I knew that I was loved. I had a grandmother who loved me, who took the time to explain and talk to me about life, and um, and really uh, maybe helped me believe that it was just it was up to me of uh, what I chose to do, and that the universe would support me in anything that I. Um, really made up in my heart that I wanted to do so. Um, so yeah, I looked back and I said, wow, that, that was difficult, but, uh, I just, that was life.
2: We're talking with Ernie Hudson, who obviously is a great actor, but uh, you get the idea, Bill. He's also a great human being. You know, Ernie, very few people realize you were the first in your family to graduate from high school. You married at 18, quickly became a father, took a job as a janitor, and that's where a lot of people just get stuck. What enabled you, other than this attitude you just shared with us, to, to reinvent yourself, to, to realize there's more, and this is not the dead end for me?
3: Well, you know, my grandmother who, like I said, she took the time to explain how she saw the universe, and she always um, encouraged me to, to to understand that it was always a choice, that when you are going through something very difficult and you accept it like it's out of your hands, but as long as you know it's in your hands and you can make another choice, the universe will make that choice with you. So even though I was working as a janitor, I had a wife, she was pregnant, I was 18 years old, and... And um, I knew that if I could just choose differently, then I would find a way. The universe always offers a way to any question. So the key is finding the right questions. And uh, I ask the right questions, and the answers will follow.
1: You know, we're curious if you still have that same attitude about the universe now as we all get older. I mean, you're finding great roles. I want to mention Grace and Frankie because what a show that is with Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Sam Waterston, Martin Sheen. You're the youngest of the bunch. What is that like and what does that tell us, Ernie, about age?
3: Well, you know, yeah, I think the one thing that the show does is shows us that life doesn't end at 50 or 60 or 70 that, uh, we still fall in love. We still have our lives to, to go on and, and it's so fun and it's so exciting and it's still frustrating. So, um, uh, I, when they asked me to be on the show, I thought, well, geez, am I, and then I realized I'm not that much younger than the other ones. You know, I may look a little younger. Uh, I like to think so, but, uh, we're all in that together. So, um, uh, people love the relationship and, uh, I've been a fan of theirs, but, uh, also know that I bring something to the show as well. So it's been fun for me um, uh,
2: to, to do that. And going all the way back to the beginning, or at least to the early part of your career, are you surprised that Ghostbuster became such an iconic part of our culture? Uh, and people, I guess, if they say, who's Ernie Hudson? And someone says, well, that was one of the Ghostbusters, they immediately remember you.
3: Yeah, I, I am a little surprised because we, we do these things and they're popular for a brief moment. And then we move on to the next thing, but Ghostbusters for over 30 years now has uh, been right up front there. No matter where I go, people still um, will yell, who you want to call. Uh, it's a part of, um, it's just part of our culture, and uh, I'm, I'm surprised and thankful. Uh, people said you must get tired of it, and I go, never. I mean, this is, uh, I'm so thankful to be a part of, uh, kids show me they grew up watching the movie. They can quote lines from the movie. Uh, that's that To me, that's very, very special.
1: Hey, finally, Ernie, can you pass along a little bit of that Ernie Hudson wisdom? What What is your career and your experiences? What have you learned about life that the rest of us can benefit from?
3: Well, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm still learning. <laughs> but uh, I do think that if we can find a way to just, um, you know, to get, everybody talks about it, but getting in the moment, to be in the moment, to be appreciative, uh, to wake up every morning and, and think about the things that you uh, are appreciative of and give thanks for those things and not focus so much on the things that you, you don't want or that you you dislike. I look at my career and I could get frustrated because I can think of guys who have gone on to do bigger things, but the more I focus on that, the worse I feel. So I'd much rather focus on um, the things I have so much to to be thankful for and really, really... Um, just appreciate and, um, and know that any success, Denzel Washington's success, is my success. Um, you can't separate any of us. Um, so,
1: so I'm very, very thankful for that. Well, Ernie, we all knew that you were a tremendous actor, but it's, it's just great to hear that you're also such an inspiration. Our thanks to the always interesting and still very busy Ernie Hudson.
2: Right up next, a victory lap for dreamers everywhere. Wait till you hear what's happened to one of our own, Growing Boulder Medical Director Dr. Robert Masson. That's next on Growing Boulder.
1: Support
4: for Growing Boulder provided by...
1: Located in West Orange County, Orlando Health's Health Central Hospital is a full-service hospital with an accredited chest pain center and heart failure program, as well as top-rated neurospine and orthopedic programs. Learn more at OrlandoHealth.com. And by... The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio. Preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com Well, there's a brand new chapter in what's one of the most inspiring stories in all of motorsports. And it really is, as Mark said a couple of minutes ago, a victory lap for dreamers everywhere. Growing Boulder Medical Director Dr. Robert Masson and his son Kyle are back on the racetrack for another season of Prototype Racing. And right there with him is Mark Middleton.
2: As growing Boulder medical director Dr. Robert Massan walks through the garage area at Daytona International Speedway, he can't help but remember walking through the garage at Sebring International Raceway last year, the day he nervously made his racing debut, realizing a childhood dream.
5: So this is my first year in IMSA, which is the largest North American road racing organization. My son was the rookie last year his dad's the rookie this year and uh, it's a little overwhelming but I'm having a great
2: time much has changed in the past year including dr. Masson's definition of success
5: unfortunately last year I had zero expectations now I have expectations I have an agenda I know exactly what I want to accomplish results are more important to me than they were a year ago I want to end up on the podium the overall podium that's our goal very specifically
2: After a 7th place finish in his debut race at Sebring last year, Dr. Masson steadily improved over the course of the season.
0: Dr. Masson is driving quite differently this weekend than we've seen before. All of a sudden, he's got this figured out. It's like something has clicked.
2: Robert's late-season charge propelled him to a second-place finish in the Masters Division Season Championship. His son Kyle dominated the overall series, winning 11 of 13 races while simultaneously competing in WeatherTech's Tequila Patron North American Endurance Championship, where he won three of four races, including the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona and the 12 Hours of Sebring. All told, he took the checkered flag in 14 of 17 races, winning two championships. This year, Kyle is competing full-time in WeatherTech's highest prototype class, so Robert is racing for the first time without him in the field and in the same garage.
5: I didn't realize how much I depended on him for all the little details about performance and setup and coaching and lots of little things and uh, it's pretty cool to be able to depend on your 20 year old
1: kid here at the world center of racing the daytona international speedway
2: today's race is the first ever imsa prototype challenge presented by mazda at daytona international speedway the world center of racing and it draws a large crowd anxious to meet the drivers, get their autographs, and even see their cars up close. It's a unique experience for the fans and for Dr. Masson.
5: It's living a dream. It's definitely something I never saw myself doing. I'm really eager to be able to inspire those smiles. It's a different animal for me completely, and I love it. As much as your patients love you,
2: how many of your patients have asked for your autograph?
5: Zero. Uh, well, unless you count prescriptions, right? So, uh, but never, never for real. So that was cool.
2: The one-hour, 45-minute race features two classes running together, closed cockpit LMP3 race cars and the open-air Mazda-powered Elan prototypes in the MPC class. Dr. Masson qualifies third in the MPC, which starts behind the higher-powered and faster LMP3s. ROBERT ALMOST IMMEDIATELY MOVES INTO THE M.P.C. LEAD WITH A PASSIVE PERFORMANCE TECH TEAMMATE, WYATT SCHWAB. SCHWAB RECLAIMS THE LEAD A SHORT TIME LATER, BUT WHEN HE HITS DEBRIS ON THE TRACK, Masson TAKES OVER AND NEVER LOOKS BACK. WITH HIS FAMILY, INCLUDING KYLE, WATCHING FROM THE PITS, Masson dominates the race, taking his first ever checkered flag, winning not only the Masters Division, but the entire MPC class by over 12 seconds. Dr. Masson,
0: first win in the series. Nice job, Robert. How's that feel, buddy?
2: Now, I was worried a little bit. You know, after an hour, an hour, and ten minutes, if the old guy had the endurance. Well, you know, they worry about our
5: hearts and all these things. But, uh, you know, I think some of my fastest laps were in the last 20 minutes. Uh, You know, we can do it.
2: One of the hardest places in the world to put your car is in Victory Lane at Daytona. As Dr. Masson's car is rolled in and he raises his trophy atop the podium, a unique moment unfolds that few here are aware of. A first of its kind intergenerational connection from one year to the next. One year ago, you were in Victory Lane with Kyle. Yeah. Did you ever imagine
5: you'd be the guy? Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought that. I'm in Victory Lane at Daytona a year after Kyle won the Rolex 24. That's phenomenal. It's incredible.
2: It's an incredible moment for Dr. Robert Masson and an important moment for all of motorsports. Racing is a dream that countless boys and girls grow up with and thanks to IMSA, Mazda, race teams like Performance Tech and the example of drivers like Robert and Kyle Massan, it's a dream that's never too soon or too late to pursue and it's a proud moment for growing bolder when one of our own through hard work, dedication and the pursuit of relentless forward progress inspires all of us to dream big.
5: For all those people who will ultimately watch this and uh, who are paying attention to what I'm trying to do on behalf of Growing Bolder. I really hope that they use it in some small way to uh, leap forward to some personal goal, whether it be athletic or emotional or political or uh, philosophical. It doesn't matter. And it's amazing what committing to a journey will give you. And it's the Growing Bolder way. It's a say yes attitude. And I really, really hope that if they see this, that will flip a switch for them personally, that they can hit their next dream, because that's what you guys are all about, and that's why I love being part of it.
2: Kyle learned to race before he had a driver's license. Robert learned to race before he qualified for Medicare. Their story transcends motorsports and proves that growing bolder is not about age, it's about attitude. So what's Dr. Masson's attitude now? He wants to be in victory lane at the same time as Kyle. My new goal is now, well, he moved up to the highest class in racing, and now I'm
5: an anchor to him, so I have to get better so that I can move up to the highest so I can race with my kid again. And, you know, if I fall short, at least I tried, but that is my new goal is to get to the highest level of uh, prototype racing in North America.
2: That's growing bolder. Coming up if you couldn't find an assisted living center good enough for your own mother, would you build one? Larry Pino did. How is it different? That's next on Growing Boulder.
4: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
1: The Center for Health and Well-being, coming soon in Winter Park. Wellness, fitness and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. Bill Schaefer and Mark Middleton here, and this is Growing Boulder. Our next guest is the founder, chairman, and chief executive officer. Of Tuscan Gardens, a unique senior living community that is redefining the quality of life that's possible for men and women of all ages. He is also a respected attorney and a successful businessman who has created over 80 businesses with sales of over $1.5 billion. He has spoken to over a million people and appeared on over 140 TV and radio programs.
2: Uh, he is a major thought leader. He's also authored several books. But I think it's probably safe to say, Bill, that his latest is the one that he's most personally passionate about. It's called Reinventing Senior Living, the Art of Living with Purpose, Passion and Joy. And what makes this story so compelling, folks, and heartwarming is that Tuscan Gardens was born out of the passionate and unsuccessful search of a son looking for a place for his beloved mother where she could spend her final years. It is always a pleasure to speak with and learn more from Larry Pino. Hey, Larry, how are you?
4: Uh, My goodness, I'm wonderful. Now, as I'm listening to the two of you talking about me, I'm even better. I mean, just keep on going.
2: (laughs) Well, we've got to get to the meat of the interview, but we could keep on going. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, uh, as we know, Larry, your book is dedicated to your mother, Maria Giordana Pino, and in a very real way, the entire journey has been dedicated to her. You say in the very first paragraph of the introduction, we're Italian, putting our parents in any type of facility is taboo. So you search for a place uh, that she would love and that you wouldn't feel guilty about, but you never found anything that you were comfortable with, did
0: you?
4: No, I really didn't, and that's really what, what started it. I mean, mom was mom was wonderful after dad passed away, and she, she was incredibly vibrant as a person with lots of friends and all of that, and she was just fine until there came a time in which she wasn't. And so we made a decision to bring in 24-7 caregiver. Uh, fortunately, Italian speaking and Italian cooking. And uh, she thrived, just absolutely thrived. Um, And, you know, at a certain point, all of her friends were passing away. And little by little, we were the only ones left. Every weekend, every Saturday, Sunday, we'd go visit her at her house, which was about seven minutes away. And then finally, I sort of took a look at it. And it was kind of like, we need to get some socialization here. We need to be, other than the caregiver, who was a live in and and the family she had no friends so I would go out into the community and take a look to try to find some place that uh, that I could put her in and this was obviously based on the fact that there was a natural bias against it anyway but what was worse is we just couldn't even find anything that would be remotely some place I would be willing to put to, to put mom into and that's what really began the journey to take a look and 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 sort of say to myself okay so what would it have to look like and that's what led to the ultimate conceptualization of Tuscan Gardens as as really nothing other than a pen on paper that eventually, obviously, uh, got built.
1: Boy, Larry, you have, you're known far and wide for having a brilliant business mind. and And I'm wondering if this kind of goes a little bit against the grain, because you didn't really start with any tangible components, but but the values that you wanted to embrace and the feeling that you wanted to create, what were those and what was lacking in what you saw out there?
4: Yeah, you know, that's great, great, Bill. I mean, you know, when I, when I took a look at it, um, it was every bit of it, you know, I would walk through and and a friend of mine, uh, when I started to really think about what would this have to look like? I I had uh, contacted a friend of mine and and, um, who uh, did know something about senior living, so he started to introduce me to a number of communities so I would walk you know I, I would go in with him and we 'd walk around and i'd try to get some sense of it um, you know what what they were doing and, and every bit of it I mean it was the aesthetics when you walk in, uh, what they looked like, it was um, the the, the uh, aromas i 'll be gentle on that one the the sense and uh, of that the amount of light. That was involved. And so as I took a look at all of those types of things, I envisioned a a community, I envisioned a building that had, you know, lots of vertical uh, spaces, lots of windows all the way from the very top. So you had lots of natural light coming in. And where the fragrances were were not artificial fragrances, that they were surrounded by herbs, natural herbs, you know, the smell of of rosemary, the smell of basil, uh, you know, the smell of of, uh, aromatic flowers. And all of that. And, you know, when I took a look at these institutional kitchens that are in the back and all that, I said, well, what's wrong with putting that Tuscan kitchen right out in front and have a real oven that's exposed so that you can actually make baked bread in the morning and have the aroma of the bread, um, you know, or to be able to make real Italian sauce, you know, in that exposed Tuscan kitchen so that it's just, you know, just savoring, right? And as it wafts through the, the community. So all of those things were important. I, I think, in addition to that, what was absolutely important, I called it the sense of the aesthetic. Um, it was a component that was, you know, real art, not this artificial stuff, you know, that you that you buy off of the internet for, you know, twenty dollars a painting. But real art, um, authentic art, original art, um, was part and parcel of it for us. Uh, real music, you know, where you have uh, actual playing. And I think finally, just the programming, you know, I can't tell you how many facilities I walked into where uh, what you had was bingo and, uh, you know, it's like bingo night and day. And and I don't have anything, I don't have any problem with bingo per se, because if it's, if the seniors want bingo, then of course you would want to give them bingo. But how about those other items? I mean, what about the other types of things? I mean, we have book clubs and we have writing groups and, and we have educational sessions um, and we have uh, all of the different types of uh, art. You know, we have ceramics, uh, which are provided and so forth. So the programming component to it was important to me. In general terms, uh, it was really the, the intention was to create an environment that had that that wonderful sense of self, that had that wonderful sense of authenticity that would be compelling for people who just no sooner uh, walk in, that they just immediately embrace and immediately feel it. You know, the word that I used originally, and I think it showed up in the book at some point, was in Italian, sprezzatura, uh, and that, that sprezzatura is that, that uh, lifestyle of, um, and that art of elegance. It's the, it's the art of elegance and dignity and a sense of humor and lightness that just simply pervades the energy in the place not only with respect to the residents, of course, but obviously to the associates who work in it and are, are there night and day uh, for our residents. So obviously I could go on, but feel free to direct me.
2: <laughs> no, that's great. Uh, we're talking with the founder, chairman, and chief executive officer of Tuscan Gardens, which is a, uh, you know, really a state-of-the-art senior living community. You know, Larry, w- what audience did you have in mind for this book? Because I think anybody that is worried about their parent would want to read it because it gives them such a great overview of what is there and also what's missing, but but I get the sense that it's almost uh, a call to action to the entire industry. To some extent, you're taking the industry to task and showing them a better way. Is that what you were trying to do?
4: You know, really, very, very perceptive then, Mark, because, because yes, um, what I wanted to do is I, I wanted to to write a book, um, and that, that sort of embodied what my vision was for not just Tuscan Gardens, but for senior living. And for what it has the capability of being, right? And and for that, I I gave it to the residents. We did a book signing, and I gave it to the residents because uh, I certainly wanted the residents to have it. And I wanted, and I said to them when I gave them the book, and you know, I did a little autograph session and all that. And it was, you know, listen, my friends, you you help me here. You you this is a, this is a joint undertaking. This is what it needs to look like. Uh, from my perspective, and what I want you to do is I want you to participate with me in this journey of making it just this wonderful, wonderful uh, environment that we would have the opportunity to share together. Uh, in addition to that, it was intended for the loved ones, to, to, for all of those loved ones who are looking at it and saying, wow, here's a community that embraces these types of values, but do I not want to have my mother there? Do I want to not not want to have my dad there? Do I not want to be there someday, Right. So it was intended for the loved ones. But but even more substantially, back to your point, I wanted to actually talk to the community, not, not in any type of, um, you know, lecturing way, but talk to the senior living industry and to be able to say, hey, guys, listen, you know, you're my colleagues in this. I'm somewhat new to the table. I mean, there are people out there that have been senior living their entire life. Um, I have only been since I conceptualized Tuscan Gardens in 2010. So, you know, I do have a set of fresh eyes and I want you to know here's what I saw and here was my answer to what I saw. And, um, you know, I would really um, love the opportunity to be able to, um, to go down this road with you and jointly, because I know how many wonderful communities have been built since the time that I institutionalized, uh, you know, operationalized Tuscan Gardens with our, with our very first one in Venice. And listen, I would love for all of you out there to be able to express in those creative ways that you know how to do um these types of you know these types of values um because that's kind of where we are today you know when i when i talked about reinventing senior living it's the art of living with purpose passion and joy i mean can you think of anything better than that Mm -hmm. and so if we can have an entire industry that's dedicated to that in the context of this absolute silver tsunami that's out there. Um, What a wonderful thing.
2: You know, folks, he is Larry J. Pino. He's written an important book. And and here's one of the neat things about it. Uh, He's donating all of the proceeds from the book to the Alzheimer's Association. If you'd like to learn more about Tuscan Gardens, as he mentioned, uh, uh, the first one is up and running in Venice, Florida. He's building a second one on the east coast of Florida. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be many, many more. His book is called Reinventing Senior Living, The Art of Living with purpose passion and joy you can find it online at amazon or barnes and noble check out his blog about business it's called ourlifeinbusiness.com and of course if you go to TuscanGardens.com, you can learn more about how he is in fact reinventing senior living larry thanks for your time and uh, we really appreciate you uh, sharing all of your insights with us Up next at 77, she is one of the oldest professional ballerinas ever. This is Growing Boulder.
4: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
1: The Massan Spine Institute, where world renowned minimally invasive techniques lead to fast recovery. The Massan Spine Institute, excellence in spinal surgery. More information at massansi.com. And by. Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at crosbywellnesscenter.org.
0: This is
2: Growing Bolder. I'm Mark Middleton. That guy over there is Billy Schaefer. And, you know, we talk a lot about it. But if you're looking for the fountain of youth, if you want to stave off the effects of aging for as long as you can, if you want to live a life that's filled with passion and purpose, no matter what your age is, the key is physical activity. So what does that mean? Well, it could be exercise, getting on the treadmill, going to the gym, or it could be something you really love, a passion like swimming, cycling, skiing. For our next guest, it is most definitely dancing, ballet dancing to be exact, and she's still doing it in a very impressive way at the age of 77. You know, Mark,
1: she's a teacher, a choreographer, and a dancer at the Royal Ballet Dance Academy in the Dallas area, and what she does, she teaches people from age three on up and she herself is dancing on her toes for at least two hours every day and she's so driven to give back that she performs at schools and nursing homes as often as she can what must they think of her there well let's find out by saying hello to madame suzelle pool how are you
6: hello Fine, thank you. Nice to be talking with you.
1: Wow, what a beautiful voice. I can almost he- hear, picture you dancing just by the sound of your voice.
6: Oh, <laughs> well, thank you very much. Hey, tell
1: us a little bit about what you think of all this attention that you're getting as someone who continues to do ballet in your 70s. I-
6: I'm amazed and very grateful, and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> there's uh, So many people interested in what I've done. It's, I... I- quite amazed and, as I said, very grateful. Well, I just enjoy what I I do, (laughs) yes.
2: And we enjoy watching it. And, and I have to say, I don't live in the Dallas area. I've not seen you dance in, in person, but I've seen videos of you. And as Bill mentioned, you are so elegant. Your posture is so perfect. You do not move like what we think a 77-year-old should, should move like. You are smashing stereotypes. Talk to us about the benefits of dance and ballet in particular, because it seems like for some, uh, it, it's something that they can't do. It wears them out. For others, uh, it, it leads them uh, to, to have more uh, ability to continue to move. How how, how are you still dancing?
6: Well, um, I've had wonderful teachers right from the beginning, and I think that's very important so that you do things correctly, the correct technique. And, and I've always practiced. I always have kept up doing a bar, even before performances, especially before performances. And even when it wasn't necessary, I've always kept it up. And ballet is a wonderful whole uh, way of of using the body from every part of the body, the top of the head to the tips of the toes and, and acting. And it's a whole thing. And we use lovely music. And all of that, I think, makes it interesting to do. I don't know if I'm answering the question properly because you asked me um, how I achieved it. But it's because I keep practicing But I love doing it. I enjoy dancing, and um, I agree with your introduction that people should do exercise and and do what they like doing. And I happen to like ballet, which is rather scientific. It's all been thought out um, with the techniques for posture, and it all works out how to stand. It's all taught to us. And I just find that it's a natural thing for me to to love doing it, and there's always the interesting thing. You always try to get better. You never achieve being a perfect ballerina. It, you always try to improve, and and that's a challenge with ballet. And um, I, I agree that people should do exercise with people, things that they love doing, and, and not have it as to, to have it as an onerous task, um, just as an exercise. And so if they love walking, they should walk. And if they love swimming, they should swim. Don't you agree?
1: We do. But you know what happens is that everybody seems to have a re- one reason or another to maybe think about quitting, retiring, or doing something else. And we think of dance as being for the young. You don't see that many people, especially in ballet, as they age. So what is it that's kept you going where others you know maybe fall by the wayside
6: I don't know but I I do find as you say that it is typical I I teach adult beginners ballet and most of them did it as a child and they remembered it as a child and they gave it up (laughs) all through the years I had a ballet teacher said you don't give ballet up it gives you up (laughs) Hmm. but um, and then they come as mature women because they want to do ballet again and they fit in very well because they've had the ballet training in the beginning um, but it just i i think because there's an effort to do it is not easy to do ballet you have to put great effort into it uh, and there's a discipline of um, what you wear and how you, you dress and and um, you should be disciplined with attending regularly too. And so people find, oh, I think I'd rather go to a party, I'd rather do this or that. Um, and also if people are working, uh, they haven't got time, they're exhausted at the end of the day. But, you know, I found that um, sometimes I feel, oh, I don't know if I feel like doing ballet today. And then I go in and I, I do a bar and I dance and I come out and I feel Better, no matter what time of day it is, um, it, I feel better. <laughs> People don't realize that if they just did it and disciplined themselves to attend, they would um, find that they feel better.
2: If you want to keep moving, you have to keep moving. We are speaking with Madame Suzelle Poole, who is a ballerina at the age of 77, still performs, still teaches. uh, uh, And and Suzelle, we've done a story on Eileen Kramer, a 100-year-old ballerina. Are you familiar with her, and do you find inspiration from people who are older than you and are still dancing?
6: Oh, oh, yes. I, I admire a lot of people. I'm encouraged by them. And, and I'm very grateful for many wonderful, long-standing friends and colleagues. And they enrich my life because I, I look up to them as they're older. A uh, lot of them are older. A lot of them are younger. Oh, yes, I'm inspired by other people, of course. In your introduction, you said a few things about me. And I'd like to add that I am a published poet. And pertinent to what we're talking about, may I read you a poem?
2: Please do. We'd love to hear
6: it. This one's called Ballet. Once upon a time, the other day, I was taken to the theater to see a ballet. We sat in a seat, we waited a while. The music was exquisite, quite a different style. The curtain opened sideways and showed a splendid scene. Some dancers moved about in pretty white and green. The ballet told a story I watched it to the end. Then the dancers came to bow, a deep and graceful bend. We clapped with joy and awe. What a wondrous time we'd spent. The vision had been so lovely. I remembered as we went.
0: Wow.
1: Absolutely beautiful. I mean, she is a true inspiration. Mark, you you made a great point. When you see someone a little bit older than you doing something that you love to do but think you'll have to give up at some time how inspiring is that uh, she's still performing and she is still teaching and she is still involved in what she loves she is Madame Suzelle Poole practicing ballet at the age of 77.
2: Coming up from TV's Happy Days, we'll catch up with Marion Ross, still going strong with some interesting things to say about life. This is Growing Boulder.
4: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
2: the
1: UCF College of Medicine, where physicians, scientists, and teachers are discovering innovative solutions for today's medical challenges and bringing them to you. Learn more about the college's physician practice at ucfhealth.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingboulder.com/slash-subscribe. You're listening to Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and we bring you a lot of celebrities on this program, you know, because in a lot of ways their lives are sort of like exaggerated versions (laughs) of ours. Yeah, they probably do have a lot more highs, but in many cases, a lot more lows as well, more struggles and things like that. And when they come on and talk about it, it makes you feel like, okay, I've got my issues, but if they can deal with theirs,
2: then so can I. Yeah, it's a good point, Bill, and our next guest really is a great example marion ross played richie cunningham's mom on Happy Days. I I think we all thought she was our mom for a while, Billy. Uh, She's a big star, recognized everywhere, so much so that it's hard to believe there was ever a time when she second-guessed her career, her marriage, and even her purpose in life. She's just written a charming book about her life and the fascinating journey that she's been on. It's called My Days, Happy and Otherwise. Let's say hello to Marion Ross. Hey, Marion, how are you?
7: Well, good morning. I'm just... I feel great this morning.
2: And, and you sound great. Uh, what, what a thrill for us. You know, after all of your days, hopefully mostly happy, uh, what made you decide to write your story? And what well, was it I like? I
7: certainly didn't want to do this. My son, Jim Meskerman, came to me, and he brought this writer. Uh, and he, he said we we're, we're going to you're going to write this book you're going to talk to him, and he's going to write it down." I said, "No, no, no, I'm not going to do that and then the next thing i'm tied to a chair, and we're, we're doing it
1: okay and your son Marion, is an actor he's in a, a pretty popular Geico commercial that's on now.
7: Well, you know, I tell you he's in a commercial right now where he plays George Washington being dragged. To in his boat, across the freeway for Geico.
1: That, that's fantastic. We were talking about that spot just the other day, laughing at, at how good that's it my is. My
7: gym. And it's you know, all made up and so forth. He's playing George Washington.
1: The, isn't, isn't that so he's the father of our country and you're the mother of our country.
7: <laughs> how do you like that? You like that, and my daughter is a writer producer on Friends. For goodness' sake,s wow. and now she's creating a new pilot for ABC.
1: Look what look what you have look what you have look contributed. What I
7: did. My God, you know,
1: Marion, You know, uh, different maybe than some other interviews that you do. This show is really unique and growing bolder. We have a chance to really look at not just your life yesterday, but your life today. Do you do you talk? Are you proud of your age right now?
7: No, because I cannot grasp the idea, yeah, I cannot get it, which is probably a good thing i don't when some people ask me how old I am, I sometimes say sixty eight sixty nine you know I just can't seem to get the idea that i'm eighty nine I mean wow, and i'm pretty i'm pretty darn healthy, you see.
1: And you're sharp. You still have that curiosity for life, that that spark that makes you so attractive.
7: Well, I'm retired. You know, I am retired because I think one of the last shows I did, I kept saying, "What is that line? How does that line go? What is that line? What? Am it just, it just kind of eluding me. So. I think it's better to, let's quit right now.
2: Well, you may be retired from television, but you certainly are not retired from life. At 89 years old, publishing a book, My Days, Happy and Otherwise. We've seen the happy on the screen. Tell us a little bit about the otherwise. What kind of struggles have you had?
7: Um, Because when I was 40, I got divorced, and nobody had a job. And, uh, you know, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I'd hit the wall, you know, I had to rent out a room in my house and crawl, crawled back out, had to call some of my, I called my, the George Seaton, the producer of airport, airport, and not airplane, but airport, and I said, can I be in your movie? And he said, yeah, what do you want? You want a part or a long part? I said, I want a long part. <laughs> and I was one of the passengers on the airplane. And because I stepped way back and took that part, I met on the plane Sandra Gould from the Bewitched show. And she had me come over for dinner because I cried every day. And she brought the casting, a casting woman for dinner also. And the woman said, Millie Gussie was her name. She said, you'd be good for this um, show, Love and the Happy Days. Playing the mother, the more the part was so small, it was, oh Howard, oh children, you're not eating, was that kind of thing. <laughs> so, so that's my, that was my process.
0: Wow, Mary,
1: and Marian, your story is, it really is interesting because by 23 you were a Hollywood starlet. You were, you had parts in films like Sabrina and and Lust for Life and the Glenn Miller story movies that all of us have seen. You were on TV on the Lone Ranger and in Perry Mason and the Outer Limits. Yet you really didn't hit big until happy days and i think you were 50 at that time yes, you right. went you were you raised two kids by yourself you had a, an alcoholic husband that you were dealing with were you thinking geez, i'm 40 it's never going to happen or maybe i should find something else how did you keep the faith
7: i did i did i thought well i could uh, uh, i could become i could become a teacher i have a i had a teacher's credentials and my mother who was a teacher and who was from canada irish from from canada and she said no darling no 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 don't 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 be a teacher no no you can do it you can do it she said you're going to be just fine bye bye i thought bye bye off <laughs> off she goes i thought is nobody going to help me out of this mess but i got out of it didn't i
1: and you had plenty of ups and downs. You know, we always look at Hollywood celebrities, like we said in the beginning, and think, "Wow, their life is is so charmed." What have you gotten out of it? What made you stick it through until finally, you know, you turn the corner?
7: I I think, well, you know, I um, when I look back on my life, you know, I am the I am the second little girl in the family. I had an older sister, and then I had a brother who was only eighteen months younger, and he was a crippled boy. My brother Gordon, so um, not only am I a middle child, but then to have a crippled brother, a lot of attention went to him. I didn't get so much attention, and that, I think about this a lot, and that made me really hungry, really for some some kind of attention. So I was the cutest little kid, you can imagine, to try to survive, you know.
1: What do you do to take care of yourself?
7: Well, I guess I am just naturally strong and healthy, and I do take vitamins, you know? And I know, and I don't sit down an awful lot during the day. Maybe about 3 o'clock I'm shot, then I sit down and it's over, you know? But uh, I'm very so athletic. I was always very active and strong. I think, first of all, I was lucky to be born strong, you know?
2: Hey, Marion, before we let you go, you're just about to turn 90 years old. You are, in many ways, the matriarch of our country. Uh, You know, give us a pep talk. Give us what you've learned. What's the Marion Ross takeaway about, you know, still being engaged in life at the age of 90?
7: It's a lot about attitude, isn't it? My mother was a very positive, strong woman. I was raised on, you can be anything. And and, uh, so a lot of us are raised that way, with high expectations, but with great hope. And um, I went to church, I was raised in the church. I was Episcopalian because my mother was a Canadian. And the fact that you can, uh, and I'm very optimistic, optimistic, and i always going to look on the bright side, like, how can we make something better out of this, you know?
1: Well, Marion, it's been great to have a chance to chat with you because you still have that 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 sparkle in in your voice and you still sound just like you did when you were everybody's mom on Happy Days. We're of course talking to Marion Ross, her new book called My Days Happy and Otherwise. Great getting a shot of inspiration from America's mom.
2: And we leave you with a reminder that you can find all things Growing Boulder by checking out growingbolder.com. Look for us on your public television station as well. And you can join the conversation by following us on Facebook and all other major social media channels.
1: Got a quick takeaway before we go. Next time you hear someone described as elderly, it drives me crazy. Take a minute to think about what that means. Is it somebody in their 70s? Well, Cher's in her 70s, so's Dolly Parton. Oh, and Mick Jagger is in his 70s, too. Do they seem elderly to you? Maybe it's time to stop trying to define people by their age alone. It's a whole new world out there where it's not about age. It's about attitude. And that's Growing boulder.
2: Growing boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting, all rights reserved. This program was recorded live at the studios of WMFE Orlando. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Jackie Carlin, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producer is Katie Widrick. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Remember, when it comes to growing bolder, it's
4: not about age. It's about attitude.
0: Fire and flaming road Using ideas as my mouth We'll meet on edges soon Said I me deeded brow Ah, but I I was was so much older.